Sit back, relax, and welcome to Intoxicomics. Hello and welcome to Intoxicomics episode 2. I have with me uh, Steve from the Something Gate podcast. Took me a second to remember it. Yeah, Hello, he Steve. also said, um, so now you have to drink again. Ah, shit. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve from Something Gate. Today on Intoxic Comics, I'm going to be discussing the Invincible Iron Man Extremis and its follow-up, The Five Nightmares, how they relate to the MCU and how they relaunched Iron Man for his current state atop the M- Marvel Empire. Why did you pick these comics, Steve? Iron, the Iron Man series. Um, I really liked them because the Iron Man is somebody that I got into as an adult. I didn't read Iron Man the way I read Spider Man when I was a teenager, and uh, had collected things throughout that time when I was reading Spider Man and Ghost Rider heavily. So I didn't get into Iron Man until much later. I picked these two. Pr- Uh, comics in particular because of the way that they were the foundation for everything that the MCU is based on and since Infinity War is coming out in May I thought it would be a good time to talk about one of the most key players in that universe. So this is kind of the intro to the Iron Man series, similar to the first Iron Man. This is going to be kind of revisiting that, but a little bit different. Yes, because in Extremis, they moved the timeline forward for his origin. So this was basically a soft relaunch for him in a way. Okay. Uh, we're also going to be enjoying a, a nice bottle of Jack Daniels straight um, with some ice. So that's going to be fun. Uh, why did you pick the Jack? Um, today. It's it's always been my go-to uh, whenever I go somewhere to drink. Um, it's almost always whiskey, probably I would say 98% of the time. Uh, 1% of the other time it's beer, and sometimes I'll do vodka or some other type of liquor if I'm just feeling different. Respected. It should be a fun one because I, I don't normally get drunk on Jack, so this will be interesting to see how, how drunk I get with this. <laughs> Uh, that'll be interesting if my wife decides to go into labor during this uh, I did want to say we got some recommendations uh, from my wife so one thing that I want to do differently from the last podcast if you listen to that one if not I don't know why there's only two podcasts so go back and listen to that one as we're going to introduce a drinking game along with the comics I, I talked with you a little bit about this yesterday during uh the recording for shit i gotta drink again uh, the recording for something gate so did you think about a drinking game that would be fun to play along with these comics oh absolutely um you know tony stark has been known to imbibe in uh, alcohol from time to time so anytime he mentions drinking or his sobriety i say we take a drink just for the contrast that would offer that would be that sounds like a lot of fun so if you're listening along feel free to grab your favorite drink or drink some jack along with us and uh, anytime we mention that tony's drinking feel free to take a drink Uh, So I think that's it for the intro, so let's get into this. Uh, Cheers, Steve. Cheers. Today's podcast is brought to you by Jack Daniels. Had a long, hard day at work? Finally ready to get off? Then jack off with Jack Daniels. Iron Man first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 39. Tony Stark, the owner of the Iron Man suit, was accepted to MIT at the age of 15, where he graduated with a degree in electrical engineering and an eventual master's in that field and physics. 
over the run of the comic books and movies, there have been at least 90 different versions of the Iron Man suit. That's one impressive closet. Visualization was a key factor in designing Iron Man back in 2008 for his big screen debut. Uh, so I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, two really great comic book runs. If you've never read them, I highly uh, suggest you pick them up. The artwork is amazing. The writing is pretty good. And uh, we're going to get into it. Phrasing. <laughs> Feel free to drink along with us. We are going to uh, take a drink anytime Tony mentions drinking or his sobriety. And uh, if Ken chimes in and says, um, or like, we're trying to break him of those habits for uh, future podcasts. So he's going to have to drink every time he says those. It's going to happen. I know it. Yep. And uh, anytime Summer chimes in, we're going to drink as well. All right, so the Invincible Iron Man Extremis. If I can preface this, uh, like we talked in the introduction, this is Iron Man's kind of soft relaunch. Uh, the mentality at the time was they wanted to, uh, they were planning on using Iron Man as the start of this Marvel Cinematic Universe when Marvel got its own production studio. So they had to differentiate him from being a guy in a suit that actually anyone could wear into something that was unique to him as superpowers are unique to their individual wearers. So we have the storyline Extremis by Warren Ellis and illustrated by Eddie Granoff. <laughs> and uh, if you guys pick up this trade paperback, you can see a lot of the imagery uh, was used in the original Iron Man movie. Even the design of the Mark III armor from the initial Iron Man movie is based very heavily off of these designs. All right, so we start off in some nondescript warehouse somewhere in Texas where three uh, cookie-cutter bad guys are in this big garage uh, with <laughs> yeah, a nondescript They're, like, literally suitcase. wearing the exact yes, same thing. Yes, they are. They have jeans and hoodies and jackets on, looking around like, what's going on? Uh, one of them has a syringe with a lot of nasty-looking needles, and he shoves it in the back of this one guy's head. And he collapses on the ground in an extreme amount of pain, and his buddies all just kind of leave him there. <laughs> Fuck this guy. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, this guy starts vomiting, and they lock him in this room, and they take off. And that is literally the first four pages of the first, uh, first comic here. Uh, we then move over uh, two days later to uh, Tony Stark's garage where he is sleeping on a cot. Uh, to let you guys know in this continuity, uh, Tony Stark's identity is still a secret. Everybody thinks that Iron Man is Tony Stark's personal bodyguard and that he uh, simply designs the armor for some anonymous uh, person to wear. And he spends a lot of his time in a garage with wires and tools and everything uh, just kind of scattered about. And he's a man at this point who literally can't look himself in the mirror. He is greatly conflicted with his role as Iron Man and his past as basically a weapons dealer. So he has uh, a real conflict going on in him right now where he is not sleeping often and he's tinkering with the suit and he's just trying to figure out where he belongs uh, in this greater universe of things. In the next two pages, he's having an argument with his secretary about what his commitments for the day are and how he can balance that uh, role in Stark Industries with his desire to basically keep working on his Iron Man suit and doing what he needs to do. 
uh, the Iron Man suit itself at this part of the continuity is more like a tank than anything else. It's heavy, he has to ship it around in a giant crate, it needs a whole command and control suite to operate it. It's clunky, it's heavily armed, it's heavily armored, and the key component is that it's going to be very slow, which is where this whole story arc is going to come into play. Next page, we go to Future Farm, which is uh, their version of Big Pharma. It's a nondescript laboratory, and we see Pencil Neck Eldritch, Eldritch Killian, which you guys might remember his name from Iron Man 3. He was the big bad. Uh, in this story arc, he's just a lab coat. He's seen sitting at his computer typing up a confession because the extremist dose that they were working on was stolen, and we know that this is what was in the syringe that was given to the mysterious assailant in the warehouse a few pages prior. He types up an email of his failure in a... Um, as far as letting this uh, dosage get stolen, he prints it out. He says to himself that uh, he's never been in love before. No one's ever loved him, and he blows his own head off. <laughs> it's messed up. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty brutal. Uh, next page, we see uh, his associate, uh, Maya Hansen, which uh, you might remember from Iron Man 3. She was the other girl that Tony hooked up with in the beginning. Oh, yeah. Uh, from uh... New Year's Eve, where, when they were playing Blue uh, of New Year's Eve 90, 1999, and she finds his confession, and she gets the ball rolling with... Um, you know, the feds coming to investigate uh, the disappearance of the mysterious dose of the vial. Moving on, we are at Stark International Headquarters in Coney Island, New York, where there's some protesters outside the building. And Tony Stark is getting ready for a documentary interview with who I'm going to say is a skinny version of, uh, what's his name? Mike, uh, who does all the fucking documentaries? I can't. Michael Moore. Oh, Michael. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so I, I always, I always acute, I always equate this guy with Michael Moore, and they're getting ready to have an interview. And this serves as a backstory uh, for Tony Stark because they move the timeline forward uh, for Iron Man in this kind of soft relaunch, where in his initial origin story, he was in Vietnam when he was kidnapped by insurgents and uh, forced uh, to create weapons for them. If I remember, it's very similar to how Iron Man 1 was kind of set up. Very, very close, yes. In this continuity, he was um, in Afghanistan, and the Taliban attacked him, and some bullets hit a landmine, and shrapnel from that landmine uh, caused the injuries that eventually uh, caused him to uh, become Iron Man. Uh, throughout the interview, Tony is half answering questions about his past as an arms dealer and half sketching out designs for a new Iron Man costume while he's uh, speaking to this uh, director and interviewer. And they verbally spar back and forth about uh, legacies and how he's going to be remembered in time. And Tony concludes this with asking the director if he's ever made a real difference himself, yeah. which I thought was... Um, was a pretty great thing. And Tony's not, you know, rude or anything. He's not kind of the asshole that Robert Downey Jr. portrayed him of as a, as a young Tony Stark. He's just like, you know, I get it. You're coming at me in this direction. But have you ever changed anything either? Like, what are you doing to make the world a better place? Because that's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. 
All right, back in Texas, we have uh, our poor sucker who was shot up with this mysterious dose of goo. Uh, he is now in a cocoon of scabs and looking pretty, pretty terrible. So, next page, Tony Stark decides to take the Iron Man suit for a ride. Uh, we learn that his security is all biometric. He has a chip implanted in his arm that allows him to access his secret workshops where the Iron Man armor is. And he even comments to himself how the Iron Tech armor has become uh, so much bigger and bulkier than he intended. And he um, marvels at how he used to fit it in a suitcase, which... Uh, used to be my favorite uh, design of the armor, which would fold out around him from a case that he could carry with him. And I always thought that was like a super great way to uh, have him be able to be Iron Man at a moment's notice. Mm -hmm. um, in the official Marvel continuity, when he had the shrapnel implanted in his chest, he needed a magnetic field to circulate around his body to keep that piece of shrapnel from moving its way into his heart, yeah. which is why he had to wear the chest piece under his clothes, kind of like most superheroes wear their costume under their clothes. And under that, he had to wear this gold sleeve that allowed his... Uh, body movements to be translated to the armor, kind of like the black unitard that he wore in Iron Man 1 when he first put the Mark III on. Right, right. So... It doesn't look like they really show, like, similar to the movies, the little chest piece that he has no, in No, he one. does not wear an arc reactor in this. The, uh, the shrapnel has already been removed from him at this point. He is a superhero because he chooses to be a superhero. He does not need the chest piece anymore to hold the shrapnel at bay. He is Iron Man partly because he wants to be and I think partly because he needs to be. He's mm -hmm. sober at this point, so I think he's replaced his drinking with the adrenaline rush that he gets from being a human rocket, basically. And we're going to pause here for a minor Jack Daniels break. Because <laughs> I, I have been talking a lot. <laughs> Wet that whistle. you gotta got to keep things... Keep things yes. moving in there. So as he suits up, he explains how um, the golden sleeve that he wears, um, you know, this gold pajama onesie <laughs> under the, his uh, body allows him to connect to the Iron Man armor and pilot it. And then he goes into his uh, helmet voice, and he's like, Iron Man System Online Start Launch. <laughs> and again, this artwork um, shows his heads-up display that they adapted quite brilliantly into the movie because this came out um, while they were in pre-production, and a lot of these uh, themes that they created for this book and this relaunch uh, were then adopted into the film mm -hmm. to give you that feeling of what it would be like to be inside basically a personal fighter jet. Yeah. And it's hilarious that all the people who were protesting outside of his building were like, oh, cool, it's Iron Man. While they were at the same time protesting all his uh, weapons of uh, weapons that he has created uh, in the past. And then he goes about flying around, and then he has a flashback to a technical conference where he first meets uh, our girl Maya at a technical conference uh, years and years ago and he's the only guy wearing a suit and she's already drunk and we don't ever know explicitly if they uh, sleep together but we know that they have a history so he gets a phone call from her 
and she's worried about what has happened to her extremist dose that was stolen and unbeknownst to her at this point injected into this guy. So she calls Iron Man uh, saying that uh, she needs a hand investigating this particular issue and this is going to become important later. This is all while he's Scooby doing around all in the while suit. He's just joyriding around in his Iron Man suit, and he uh, tells her he'll be there in a couple hours because he's gonna hop on his private plane and do his Tony Stark thing. He's also uh, talking to his secretary at the time about how he wants his quote-unquote car shipped to him uh, where he's going to be. So in his attempt to keep his identity a secret, he has his latest version of armor uh, shipped around to garages so that he can access it if he needs to under the guise that it's his favorite car. Mm. So a little bit flimsy. I can definitely see why at the end of Iron Man, uh, the movie in 2008, they decided to make his public, his identity public because it's just so much easier yeah. when you're basically flying around in a Panzer tank to uh, be able to have that uh, freedom. Yeah, you don't have to come up with excuses exactly. anymore. Of why. Oh, it's my bodyguard. Yes, yes, that's it. So November 9th, two days later than when we started, we are back at our uh, warehouse with our nondescript bad guys. And the steel door that they had used to lock their buddy in is now uh, punched out uh, from the outside in. There's all these dents in it that somebody has uh, been trying to escape. And they find their third compatriot uh, wrapped up in a blanket, looking not too good. His eyes are all blood red, his gums are all bloody, but he is alive and terrifying and that is the end of the first book or the first uh issue of this six uh six book run moving along we find tony stark on his private jet having a board of directors meeting uh in route where he is defending his decision to be in the garage and making uh the inventions that keep his company running while his board of directors run things and they want him to step down and still be a lead developer, but they don't want him running the company. And he refuses to do that because he does not want to take on military contracts anymore. Mm -hmm. um, he feels that he's made the money uh, and he's established his company well enough that he doesn't need those military contracts anymore. And he's trying to make the world a better place by not contributing to that arms race. And in this particular uh, exchange, they had just developed a um, cellular phone that, uh, keep in mind, this was 10 years ago now. <laughs> um, so this phone had access to a private network of satellites that provided broadband internet access. And it had a camera and Bluetooth capability. And it could also be connected uh, via hardwire to any other computer. So uh, at the time... <laughs> I wonder when that will come out. <laughs> it was a big deal at the time. And, uh, you know, you can, you can see by the illustrations and by his body language that he just does not want to be involved with these guys who run his company with him because he just does not think the same way that they do anymore. They see the, the military as a means to an end and to get the money that they want to do to do whatever it is that they want to do. And he's like, no, we ain't having it. And we, mm -hmm. He's basically holding up an old PDA that has buttons on the bottom and everything on it and a screen. So, And he comments that we just created the best cell phone in the world and we don't need military money anymore. So 
he gets to Future Farm and he's talking to his old girl Maya. Um, they hug for like a long time, so you get the feeling that there was something else there. Again, they don't explicitly say it, but you know that there's probably, you know, given Tony Stark's history, there was probably something else going on there. Um, she has him look at the computer that her associate Aldrich Killian was using before his suicide. Uh, they say that the FBI has already been through it and they didn't find anything, so Tony hacks it with his phone that we conveniently found out has the ability to connect to a computer via Heartline, <laughs> and he uses and he uploads it uh, to his friend who's going to hack it. Uh, meanwhile, back in Texas, there's a nondescript black panel van driving up to FBI headquarters oh, because, geez. you know, what could possibly be going on? Uh, the next few pages are uh, Tony and Maya visiting their old mentor, Sal, and trying to get a handle on uh, their various problems. She's obviously concerned that her technology is uh, going to run amok. Tony doesn't know kind of what direction to go in as a person, as a leader, as a futurist. And their mentor, Sal, who wears a Hawaiian shirt and an iPad, uh, an iPod around his neck, uh, serves them apple juice and proceeds to basically berate both of them uh, about what they're doing with their lives. He even tells Maya, he's like, what are you trying to do? What would you do if you got to Tony's position? And she says, in five years, I could cure cancer. And he's like, he asks Tony, you're already at this position. What do you dream of? And he says, building a better Iron Man. Mm. <laughs> so they uh, clearly have very different priorities as far as where they are in uh, their lives. And these panels are... Um, interspersed with what's going on in Texas where, again, our nondescript villain walks into FBI headquarters uh, Neo-style and proceeds to basically punch the face off of any Fed that gets in their way. And that he, is graphic. Yeah. Jeez. He literally punches uh, half of this guy's face off in one shot, takes his gun, then throws that gun through another person, and there's even a, a mock cone around the gun. So the gun is traveling faster than the speed of sound when it hits this poor FBI agent and basically knocks him back. Uh, he's seen swinging and clawing at these guys. Uh, they're firing at him, hitting him, and the bullets are doing nothing as he proceeds to tear through them. And in the last panel from this particular attack, you see his uh, throat glowing blue, and he literally breathes fire on everybody trying <laughs> to escape the building. Jesus. And he then rips open with his bare hands a shaft to the elevator and breathes fire down the elevator shaft. So he's engulfing the building from the bottom up. So if this is a high-rise, it's pictured as being several stories, the fire is climbing up, so the people that are trapped on the top floors have no way to get out yeah. because everything is burning from the bottom up. And unfazed, he walks through the flames and leaves. Um, the reason this is intercut with, their, with Tony and Maya's interaction with uh, Sal is that it gets uh, broadcast to Tony's smartphone... And he can watch live news on his cellular phone. Is that like a Nokia with the news on it? It's basically what it is. It's got the physical buttons on the bottom and like three quarters of the screen is devoted to the uh, the screen of the device. So yeah, it's like an old Palm Pilot is basically what it looks like. I had a Palm Pilot. <laughs> Drink, oh, summertime. Summer. I was like the coolest kid in middle school. I was not. I was 
<laughs> I'm sure you were, dear. All right, so back to our story. Um, they are looking at all the burned and deceased bodies that uh, this assailant has left in his wake, and uh, with determination in his eye, Tony's uh, getting ready to suit up. And we finally learn back in the panel van that this guy with the superpowers, his name is Malin. And that's all we ever know about him. And with uh, a sense of foreboding, we hear his last words, what did I do? He says, I just started. And that is the end of uh, issue number two. So what we learned from this issue is uh, basically there's going to be a throwdown between this ultimate suit of armor that Tony has designed and this guy with basically super soldier serum giving him... Uh, a bunch of crazy shit going on inside of it. Fire breath and like the ability to punch someone's yeah. face off. So uh, when they when they did this soft relaunch, that was the main criticism is they didn't use anybody from Iron Man's previous rogues gallery. And they used this guy named Malin instead. And he's um, a good binary opposition from Tony because we don't know anything about him at this point, which is going to uh, change pretty soon in the next couple issues. So we'll come back to that later. But basically, we're going to have a suit of armor versus a super soldier coming up here. Mm. So back on Tony's private jet, he and Maya are talking about uh, the Extremis uh, formula, which we finally figure out that uh, Maya was developing in order to have uh, a super soldier application that she was going to sell to the military to be able to finance her research into things like curing cancer. And what Extremis does is tell the central part of your brain, the blueprint of your brain, which helps you heal when you're injured, that she basically hacks that and tells the brain to rebuild you into something else. Mm -hmm. So while she's describing this to Tony, we're having flashbacks of what Malin went through in that warehouse, and she's explaining how Extremis was designed for a three-person team to be able to take a city like Fallujah without any other support, using only these Extremis soldiers and their abilities given to them by the serum. Um, she does not know that Tony is Iron Man at this point, so he goes and makes a phone call to Avengers Mansion, uh, telling them that he's going to put Iron Man into the field, and he calls his um, sidekicks at uh, Stark Industries to have his armor shipped out to him in that crate, and he goes and suits up in the next couple of pages. Again, uh, we see his biometric uh, security implants allowing him to access the crate that the armor is in. And as he suits up, we get a little bit of Malin's backstory where he grew up. Uh, not quite a compound, but you get the feeling that it's, it's very rural and they're very cut off. There's a beat up old pickup truck, a little farmhouse. And it looks like his extended family, aunts and uncles, are all arguing about how the ATF is knocking at their door. There's beer bottles all over the floor and guns hanging up literally all over the wall. The feds bust in and start a firefight and end up killing all of Malin's family while he's just a little boy. So at about... He's maybe a teenager. It's hard to tell and it's not explicitly stated. But he basically watched his entire family get murdered by the government. Uh, so we get a little bit into his motivations for why he decided to use this stolen serum and go and attack FBI headquarters. 
No, keep going. Okay. I'm just making sure. And so all this happens while he's sitting in the back of uh, our nondescript stalker van uh, while they're uh, driving on the interstate. And as we pan up, we see that Iron Man is, in fact, targeting them uh, from on high and talking to local law enforcement. And he's not necessarily cocky at this point, but he doesn't necessarily respect the threat yet. So he zeroes in on the van. He sees one person in the back, which he assumes is the superpowered assailant, and he's correct. So he uses his repulsor blasts to literally cut the van in half and separate the, the two people up front from the guy in the back. We see the back of the uh, van flip over a couple of times while the front of the van just kind of skids to a stop. And Tony ends up uh, floating to the ground, holding out one of his repulsors at this assailant. And he's at 40% power and shoots him with a repulsor blast, which does nothing. Uh, Malin just starts walking towards him, so he boosts it up to 80%. And Malin starts running in a circle around him, dodging the blast. And he's actually moving faster than Tony can operate the armor. So he gets in close to him, hits him with a little fire breath. And he and Tony start getting into uh, some hand-to-hand -hand combat. Tony grabs him by his neck and Malin sprouts these little uh, points from his fingers, jams them through the armor and electrocutes him, causing Tony to let him go. And he picks up Tony and basically hurls him back into the freeway and onto a car. Uh, very reminiscent of the scene in uh, 2008's Iron Man when he's fighting the Ironmonger and they spill yeah, it yeah. onto the highway. And he uh, hits a car and causes uh, a pretty significant pileup. There's a lot of cars uh, seen flipping over. There's a lot of explosions. Oof. And then before he can even react to that or call for help... Uh, Malin's back on top of him, so he does his uh, his little thought scrambler, supersonic uh, hearing thing, okay, and causes him to pause a little bit, and he goes to punch him, and Malin catches his fist with his own, and literally crushes it. I'm pregnant. I don't move that fast. We'll pause for a second. Sure. And I'm gonna cut this out. No, you're fine. As many times as you want. It's okay, Amanda. It's really Summer's fault. I'll go grab something while I'm on my way. Well, then give Steve your Doritos. <laughs> I'm fine. I promise. Yeah, why is it weird, man, today? Uh, specifically, extremists and side nightmares. Here the <laughs> Well, I thought it was cute how, like, he was so passionate about it. And, like, all the ads he was so excited He's about. He's a very passionate individual. So very he had so many ads. So it was like, <laughs> and there's Mortal Kombat, and then there's Super Mario Bros. And the reason I, oh, I yeah, like this like, You could have put the drinking game for the number of Super Mario Brothers. Right. Yeah. But it did make me want to watch the movie. <laughs> I thought the movie came out in like 89. But then you were talking about comics that are 93, and I was like, oh. But John Leguizamo was really like pretty young in that movie. <laughs> yeah. 
I saw a tweet I sent to Jared, and it's um, 2017 resolution. Spend more quality time with my son. Son begins describing 500 new Pokemon cards. Well, there's always next year. Legit <laughs> <laughs> like, reminds me of you and Connor. All right. Let's grab our food and go down. Okay. I don't know if you want to. I'm guessing some of this is for Ken. One of the meal deal letter Ds is for me. Baja Blast! Only good with Taco Bell, otherwise it's gross. Never tell Emily that, but... The... Oh, they didn't keep the big damn caramel apple and banana. <gasps> Fuckers. Bastards. Oh, no, it's in here. Never mind. Okay. Are those green? <laughs> yeah. Okay. You can take the dog with you if you want. <laughs> Look at her face. Look at her face. I will carry these. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Beefy. Come with us. We love you. No. We'll cuddle together. He just like napped on me, so like I don't know if he's gonna have a bunch of energy now that he's. Oh, he will. So sweet in his little. I know. It was both times. We had pictures with Santa today. I saw that. I posted on Facebook. All right, so Malin catches his fist uh, as Tony throws a punch and literally crushes his armor and his hand inside with his bare hand. Oh, jeez. Tony deploys some uh, micro bombs uh, to the face to distract him, but Malin never lets go of his fist and then kicks him in the knee, bending it backwards and breaking the armor. Tony repulsors him point blank in the face, and while it causes some scars and some bloody teeth, you can just see Malin smiling at him, and he punches him right in the chest, breaching the armor. <laughs> and inside Tony's, Tony's getting fucked up. Inside Tony's heads-up display, there's a bunch of spattered blood, and it says torso unit breached. <laughs> Which, you know, if you've ever played a video game where, uh, you know, stuff goes wrong and you have a helpful electronic voice, you can just hear this sweet woman saying, Torso unit breached, you're about to die. (laughs) (laughs) So, as Tony staggered back, as Tony staggers backwards, Malin picks up a Porsche with a family inside and is about to drop it on his head. And that is the end of issue three. So, Tony gets... Fuck. Yeah, Iron Man goes to to kick some ass and, in fact, gets his ass handed to him in no uncertain terms. Issue 4 picks up immediately after Issue 3 with these poor schmucks inside their Porsche being lifted up uh, over Malin's head (laughs) and uh, Tony Stark lying on the ground with uh, his knee bent or his leg bent backward behind him. Uh, Malin gives us a quick physics lesson about uh, how the impact of the car against the Iron Man suit will cause Tony to burst inside of it. First time's acceleration equals mass. Yes. <laughs> and um, as he's about to drop the car on Tony, he gets uh, chest beamed uh, at point blank range, which, again, uh, I feel like this whole scene is reminiscent of what ended up being in Iron Man against Iron Monger, where he uh, was holding up the, the SUV and then hit him with the chest beam to to buy himself some time. The car falls on top of him and he runs out of power trying to hold it up. Uh, His torso unit being breached, his battery is breached, so the car falls on top of him and he is literally laying underneath it. 
Uh, the authorities show up in a bunch of helicopters, and Malin takes off running at several hundred miles per hour away from the scene. <laughs> Tony uses uh, the Iron Man armor to use the heat that is caused from the fires around him from all the burning cars to recharge the armor to at 1% so that he can get himself out of trouble. And he has himself airlifted via helicopter to uh, Maya's workstation uh, where the extremis dose was stolen from. And they bring out some lab equipment tables and they lower Iron Man from the sling on the helicopter onto this gurney, basically, where uh, these doctors that work at uh, Future Farm are going to help the poor bodyguard that's inside when Iron Man says, get rid of them because I'm going to reveal my secret identity. He doesn't really say that. He just says, get rid of them. <laughs> and um, he unmasks himself to Maya, and she's just blown away that this guy who designs weapons for a living is just, <laughs> oh my god, you're Iron Man, because, you know, secret identities and stuff. But, I mean, Iron Man's mask is a much better disguise than just removing your glasses and slicking your hair back. <laughs> that was a jab at Jared. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this break brought to you by Jack Daniels. Mm. And it's smooth, delicious Kentucky whiskey. Uh, so Maya gets to work trying to rescue her friend by uh, taking the armor uh, chest piece off. She's remarking as she's getting this armor out of the way how heavy it is and how she doesn't understand how it can work. And she's taking his leg piece off and how his knee and his femur and everything is shattered. There's an x-ray of his hand that's all just mangled and bloody and disgusting. And Tony's just sitting there spitting up blood, commenting how the armor injects him with painkillers. So he's like, I'm all right. <laughs> I just, I need, uh, I need, I need help. And so she gets him off the gurney and he's actually walking, you know, next to her. Uh, going towards the extremist vault because Tony's bright idea is that he's not going to survive long enough to make it to the hospital. He needs extremist to rewrite his body code in order to save his life. Mm. So she gives him Aldrich Killian's key and she has the other key to the vault which has to be activated simultaneously to access the lab where extremist is stored. This is going to be very important later. Okay. So they access the vault, and we see a state-of-the-art operating lab with a table and a bunch of computers. And Tony says, Ermagerd, I need extremists or I'm going to die. And he's like, hey, I need you to go and get this stuff for me so that I can live. And so she walks out of the room, and Tony immediately plugs the Iron Man helmet into the computer and starts hacking the, the computer that is going to save his life. And while hacking this one-handed, because his one hand is mangled, mm -hmm. he's also pulling up uh, a live, uh, the, the recording of his fight with Malin from the armor, where when he tore the van in half, a map fell out, and he has a still picture of the map that he can zoom in on <laughs> and see that Malin is going to Washington, D.C., because <laughs> when you're a redneck with superpowers, what are you going to do but go at the government? Yep, circle the location you're yes. attacking in red. Indeed, and so Tony's like, I know where you're going, and then spits up a bunch of blood. <laughs> so we, uh, we cut to Malin running across... Uh, 
it's not really desert, but there's a lot of dust as he's moving across America uh, on his way to Washington, D.C. from Texas. And he comes across um, a leather-clad, short-haired young woman with a lot of piercings, and she's smoking a cigarette. And they have a uh, brief conversation about uh, the man and the law. And she's a, she's wearing a tube top with an American flag, but instead of the Union of Stars, it has the Nazi emblem where the Union of Stars should be. She's all about making America great again. She is uh, way ahead of her time in that regards. Uh, they do some verbal sparring, and the end of the encounter is just a uh, panel of her missing her head in a pool of her own blood. No. So, um, reestablishing the fact that Malin's not a good individual, and... Uh, well, she killed the Nazi, he killed the Nazi, so, I, like, how bad can he be? You know, it's up for debate, so... <laughs> Uh, we cut back to uh, Future Farm where Maya has a suitcase that uh, Tony requested, which inside is his old suitcase armor, which is much lighter weight. And uh, you can see the the helmet and the, the arm and leg pieces. And Tony goes on to describe about how he used to have to wear the chest piece to keep the shrapnel in place and how the rest of the armor was powered off of that chest piece, which is why he could carry it around in a suitcase. And his plan is to use the extremist dose to, instead of giving himself superpowers, to give himself new ways to connect to the armor via his central nervous system. Mm. Maya goes, this is what this is designed for. This is not going to work. And Tony goes, if anything, we're making it simpler because I'm not going to give myself superpowers. I'm going to give myself access to my armor in different ways, which here's where I get kind of critical of the storyline because if you had the ability to rewrite your DNA and give yourself superpowers, what would you do? <laughs> I'd give myself superpowers. Exactly. So instead of being a fire-breathing, super strong, you know, whatever came out of his electrocuting fingers, you know, Iron Man, in addition to everything that his suits can do, he's just like, no, nah, I'm good. I just want to connect to the armor. I'm going to make it easier to be yeah, Iron Man. Like, you know. So uh, they're arguing back and forth about how this could kill him and he's spitting up blood and his eyes are all bloodshot. And he's like, my internal injuries are going to kill me. I have to do this. So she hooks him up to the computers. And if he's like, uh, I die on the table, tell the Avengers to avenge me. <laughs> and she's just like, I don't know what you're talking about, you know. And uh, she informs him that this is the uh, last dose of Extremis. And, you know, uh, I don't know if we can use it for this purpose morally. And he goes, you've always uh, been ready for this to be used. You're smarter than I have, than I am, always have been. I'm just a guy in an iron suit. I like how you get to choose your superpower with <laughs> yeah, Extremis. Exactly. Like, very convenient for everybody involved. Yeah, well, that's because he's a master hacker. And so then he uh, coughs up some more blood. Um, she initiates the Extremis procedure. Uh, we see a couple panels of Tony spasming uh, in what I would assume is horrific pain. And then he passes out on the table uh, with her next to him. And that is the end of issue four. Mm.
So issue five uh, begins with a an entirely black panel, which is Tony thinking to himself, uh, knowing that he is still conscious while Extremis is rewriting his DNA. Okay. And we have a flashback to when Tony was taken captive by the insurgents, and he first meets Ho Jensen. And we get a little bit of backstory about how the Taliban wanted Ho Jensen to design medical equipment to keep their fighters uh, in the field and being able to operate. And now they have Tony Stark there being able to design new weapons for them. And Tony has this flashback of Ho Jensen and himself designing the chest piece that's going to create the magnetic field to keep the shrapnel inside his chest at bay while he... Uh, creates this weapon uh, to allow them to escape. Meanwhile, back in Texas, uh, in the Future Farm Labs, Tony is encased in a basically a giant scab while his body heals itself. Uh, we see his mangled hand fix itself. Uh, we see his mangled leg fix itself. And then we are back to the flashback where... He is suiting up in the very first form of the Iron Man Mark I armor. And he goes through and he kills some Taliban soldiers uh, in the super old school armor with uh, his little micro bombs. And it looks very punch. similar to how the movie was set up. A little bit sleeker than how he had it in yeah, the movie. But... The, the artwork is definitely a, a lot more... Uh, traditional and they, this is very reminiscent of the official Mark One armor from uh, back when Iron Man first launched. Not the uh, more practical version than the movie put in with all the expels bolt, you know, belts and hoses and everything, mm -hmm. flamethrowers and stuff. Uh, this is very much. Uh, it looks almost like. Uh, the android from the day the earth stood still mm -hmm. and you know just yeah. very very sleek very metal very bulky and he just proceeds to uh, walk through this compound uh flamethrowing and murdering everything in his path not unlike Malin did to the fbi mm -hmm. and then uh it concludes with him uh you know, using his uh, chest beam to kill the last couple of guys, and we end with a very heroic splash shot of him uh, standing up straight with uh, an explosion behind him. Because as we all know, heroes and badasses never look at explosions. Nope. They always just walk they away don't, from Yeah, them. you just walk away. So we jump back into uh, the current timeline where Tony is coming out of the... Uh, extremis cocoon after only 24 hours instead of the looks like butt ass naked too yeah he's uh he's still wearing the undersleeve uh, around his waist and legs but yeah he's basically naked and my goes oh my god this is supposed to take 72 hours why is it only taking 24 and tony goes oh i just edited that part of the program to make this go because <laughs> ain't nobody got time for life-saving procedures <laughs> only life-saving procedures <laughs> Um, and he uh, spends the next couple of panels describing to Maya how he simplified the payload, uh, removing all of the programming to give himself superpowers to instead give himself uh, new connections to the armor. And as he stands up from the gurney, we see these uh, little uh, hexagonal uh, 
ports all over his body, uh, on his chest, on his arms, on his back. And from these little ports come these thousands of, of little pieces of gold. So he's basically taken the undersleeth and stored it inside the hollow of his bones so that he doesn't actually need to wear it anymore. He can call upon it at any given time. He sends a mental command from himself to his suitcase, which then opens it, revealing the armor that's in the suitcase. And she's like, how did that do? Th how did you do that? And he's like, I sent the signal from the lock chip in my arm mentally. <laughs> because I'm fucking Iron Man. Meanwhile, Maya gets a call and she stops this conversation with the fucking Iron Man in her lab to take this call. And oh my God, it's Tony calling her mentally. Because apparently he now has a cell phone in his brain. <laughs> then uh, the contents of the suitcase begin to float around and attach themselves to Tony because they have uh, inherent repulsor technology built into them so that they can hover and move of their own accord. And he is mentally controlling them to assemble the iron around himself. And we get we end the issue with a splash page of Tony in his brand new armor, um, completely assembled mentally through the Extremis program. And this armor to me is um, you know super iconic. It's mostly red with the gold on the biceps and the legs and the faceplate. Mm -hmm. Very very similar to the Mark III armor that they ended up going with uh, for the majority of the first Iron Man film. Yeah. And she goes, oh my God, what did you do? And he goes, up, oh, Iron Man, inside and out. <laughs> so now he has direct connection to his armor. And his, uh, his hypothesis is that now with the suit connecting directly to his nervous system, he'll be able to pilot it faster, almost as if he's moving his own body instead of actually flying it like he would a plane. Yeah. And uh, she asks him, what's he going to do? How are you going to track Malin? And he goes, oh, I know where he is because I can see through satellites now. <laughs> because, again, if I had the choice between breathing fire and seeing through satellites, I would pick satellite. No, I, wouldn't. I would pick breathing fire. Because why wouldn't you? Uh. And so we begin... Issue 6 of 6 of Iron Man Extremis in Washington, D.C., where we find our antagonist, Malin, walking along the street, minding his own business, probably not plotting a terrorist coup, but you never know, you know. when he's repulsored out of nowhere <laughs> into the back, uh, destroying the cars around him. Uh, Iron Man shows up, hits him with a bunch of micro-bombs, you know, blowing the shit out of the street around him. Uh, they verbally spar. There's a beautiful classic GTO that gets mangled in the mix. <laughs> apparently somebody decided that the cars should be real cars. And, um, you know, Tony uses his uh, chest beam to blow open the gas tank and, you know, basically cause a car to explode point blank into Malin's face. Uh, they proceed to grapple with each other. He kicks him in the face and then sets off the rocket booster in his feet uh, while he's kicking Malin in the face. So it's a lot like a like a an Iron Man Marvel vs. Capcom moment right here where he's just throwing down into a combo and uh, taking Malin out with a bunch of uh, repulsor rays. Malin gets up and shoots him uh, with a blast of electricity from his hand because, again, superpowers... 
Uh, but Tony's not there. He is actually fast enough to get behind Melon in uh, while he's shooting this beam, and he punches him in the back. Right in the spine in there. Yeah. Uh, so they keep going at it. Um, Malin lunges at him, and Tony uses his new capabilities to access the city's power grid and schematics. <laughs> Repulsors the ground, picks up a, an electrical conduit from the ground, and zaps Malin in it mid lunge. So in the in the space of Malin jumping from like six feet away, <laughs> Tony is able to access all this information and come up with countermeasures. The electricity somehow shoots Malin about six stories in the air, where he hits a building behind him. Uh, the next couple of pages remind me of Predator 2 when Danny Glover and the Predator are running through uh, an apartment building breaking everything because they're just fighting uh, from floor to floor and Tony's just beating the snot out of him, <laughs> you know, knocking him through walls and punching him out the other side of the building. They end up on a construction site because why not? Yeah. Where Malin grabs a wrecking ball and is swinging it at Tony and Tony picks up a fucking bulldozer. And deflects the chain with him and then hits him with the front of the bulldozer. Uh, they do some more hand-to-hand combat and Malin again catches Tony's fist when he throws a punch. But before he can break his hand again, Tony just fucking headbutts him. <laughs> uh, Malin does some, uh, some more electrical bolts and then rushes Tony and tackles him. He's trying to choke Throny. Tony through his iron suit because (laughs) Tony, Tony, whatever Jack Daniels doing. So while he's trying to choke a guy in a suit of armor, uh, Tony just chest beams him uh, right through the chest. And we see a huge hole in Malin as the beam comes out the other side. He doesn't quite let him go. He's still trying to choke him. So Tony puts his hands on either side of his head and repulsor blasts his head off completely okay ain't got no more head no he He is decapitated he's supposed to have a hole in his chest but apparently they didn't feel the need to draw that in this next (laughs) so continuity error warren ellis you might want to get on that and uh tony sits up and looks at this mangled corpse that he's got the corpse actually does like a push-up and tries to get up even though it's headless and should have a hole in its chest and then it slumps down and I'm not sure how I feel about this, but then Tony literally kicks the dead corpse. <laughs> because he's like, fuck you for making me do that. <laughs> because, you know, no respect for the dead. No. And as Tony looks over his defeated opponent, he says in his Iron Man voice, one thing left to do, the worst thing. <laughs> so back at Future Farm in Texas, uh, Tony shows up uh, still in the Iron Man suit with a bunch of feds. And they arrest Maya Hansen uh, because, remember how, it needed two keys to open the vault. So Tony was able to access the network of the Future Farm facility and saw that Maya and Aldrich Killian uh, conspired to give the extremist dose to these people on purpose. And Tony says uh, in his Iron Man in his Iron Man voice, the army pulled the extremist funding, no field test, no more money, even though you had a working process. So you and your boss decided to arrange a live demonstration yourselves. You chose a terror, you dosed a terrorist with extremists. Then you call your friend, Tony Stark, who employs Iron Man, an extremist enhanced individual tested against the man wearing the most advanced personal combat system on earth. 
So we can see that this was uh, Maya's plan from the beginning, hoping that if she could prove that an extremist individual could beat somebody like Iron Man, that she would be able to get the funding that she mm -hmm. needed to do her whole thing. And she uh, closes the issue by saying the only thing that she's guilty of is caring about the man underneath the suit. Ah, bullshit. Oh. You, you fucked up. Womp, womp, womp. And she tells uh, Tony that uh, he's no better than her, and he remarks that he's trying to be, and he's going to be able to look at himself in the mirror this, in the morning. Good and, for Tony. Yes, and that is the end of Iron Man Extremis, and... Uh, I really love the ultimate cover here from Invincible Iron Man 76, which is basically him doing the superhero landing. Oh, yeah, and superhero landing. Look out, he's going to do it. He's going to do superhero landing. So bad for the knees. <laughs> but uh, this this image here uh, is what John Favreau based the entire look of the Iron Man suit on when, yeah. uh, when they were doing all their concepts, sketches, and everything for uh, for the 2008 movie. Yeah. So I thought that was great. And that is Iron Man Extremis. So Iron Man now has the ability to deploy his suit at will as long as he has his suitcase with him. He has all the components that he needs to do so uh, within his own body and he connects to the suit mentally. Uh, being able to control it uh, as easily as he does his other limbs as opposed to pilot it the way that Rhodey would. Mm-hmm. So, so now we're going into the five nightmares now this here. This is going to be the five nightmares, yes. And this takes place after Civil War because this story arc opens up where Tony Stark's identity is publicly known and he is director of S.H.I.E.L.D. in this uh, arc. So the five nightmares opens up in uh, Tanzania where a group of uh, kids uh, had just bought uh, a new Stark phone. And this is a different Stark phone than the one that he just designed a couple of uh, back in Extremis. Uh -huh. When a car pulls into the town square and these three individuals uh, pile out and start yelling and they pull their clothes off as they're detonating these suicide bombs. But these bombs aren't like sticks of dynamite or anything. You can see in their chest and hands are like arc reactors and repulsor technology. Yeah. And they basically light up the square and kill everybody that's within this radius. Uh, Tony is not going to find out about this for a couple of hours because he is actually in space patching up the space shuttle. And he, uh, you know, tell, he's very humble at this point. He's, he's done his whole Iron Man thing and he's trying very much to be the guy who lifts everybody else up. The astronauts on board the space shuttle that he's repairing are like, you know, we'd be totally okay if you decided to privatize, you know, spaceships and thanks for helping fix our ship. And he goes, I'm just a guy in, a, in an iron suit. You guys are actual full-on astronauts. Like, you yeah. guys are so much better at, at this kind of stuff. We cut back to him at his penthouse where he has some model uh, totally in his bed waiting to get down. And they're about to get down when he gets a call from S.H.I.E.L.D. Ah, about the, the uh, terrorist attack that happens. So, Tony reports to S.H.I.E.L.D. complaining the whole time about how his day job as director of S.H.I.E.L.D. is interfering with his sex life. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is kind of Very, very Tony. Yes. Um, the uh, S.H.I.E.L.D. executives that are on site, um, which are uh, Mariah Hill and it looks like Dum Dum Dugan's son based on his mustache, but we never actually <laughs> hear uh, who he is. 
and they're briefing him on this terrorist attack. And Tony's doing, you know, typical director stuff. You know, what are the terrorist cells in the area? What was this? What was that? And they recover a piece of the Stark tech that was on scene. And he's like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. And he's like, when do we leave? And they're like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, obviously we're going to raid these motherfuckers who are behind this. When do we leave? And they're like, you're the director. You're not going anywhere. He's like, fuck you. I'm Iron Man. I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, we know you're used to having an active you know, role in these operations in the past. And he's like, when do we leave? Fuck yeah, Tony. Yeah, so, uh, you know, he's he's the director of S.H.I.E.L.D., but he's very much uh, an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. as well because he's taking a, a personal role in all these uh, operations because at this point, Tony has elevated himself to basically the top of the Marvel Universe as director of S.H.I.E.L.D., and he's still at a point in his mentality where he's not going to ask somebody to do something that he wouldn't do himself. Yeah. And he knows that as Iron Man, he can go in and stomp these guys rather than risk the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents that are under his command. Mm-hmm. They draw him very like like older Howard Stark, yes. except with like less gray. Exactly. He, uh, he's got just his mustache instead of his goatee. He doesn't really have his Tony Stark flair. He's wearing the S.H.I.E.L.D. director clothes. Uh, he's in uniform, uh, and he's very much uh, embraced the role that he had inherited at the end of Civil War, mm-hmm. running this organization and running it not to keep himself at the top, but literally to, to better everything around him. Yeah. So now... We cut to Jones Reynolds Jones World Headquarters in New York, New York, where we see a a very millennial young man wearing a light blue shirt and sunglasses on his head, and we are introduced to him as Mr. Stain, Ezekiel Stain, Mm. son of Obadiah Stain. I wonder who the bad guy's going to be. Yeah, (laughs) you know, I could never tell. So this uh, secretary calls him into a board meeting, and he has to walk through uh, some... Uh, x-ray security and they comment uh, if he has a pacemaker or not and he says yes uh, because he uh, has had some health issues in the past (coughs) and we find out that he is at a board meeting for Big Tobacco uh-huh. And fucking big tobacco. The, oh, you'll love this then if you don't like big tobacco. <laughs> so Ezekiel Stain, uh, dressed in t-shirts and shorts and no socks, is in this room full of suits. And they're like, did you ever think that you should you know, dress up for this meeting? And he's like, it never occurs to me to dress up at all. And he hands them these PowerPoint presentations on compact disc so that, so that they could put them inside <laughs> their, their laptop computers and watch the presentation. And he goes on this rant about how he has designed uh, weapons of mass destruction for terrorist cells and this and that. And um, he he says, and I quote, listen, fellas, I make and manufacture next generation weapons for terrorists and freak show lunatics. And I'm saying this as that guy. What you do is completely evil. I might deal to murderers, but you guys, you guys are addicting kids and then murdering them yourself. So this, <laughs> so this is a little heavy handed against the tobacco industry, but still hilarious nonetheless. And on their laptops, a bunch of skull and crossbones come up like Independence Day style. And he's like, thanks for all your money. And he tells them that he basically used their money and all their lab facilities uh, to upgrade himself. 
he basically extremist himself, although he doesn't call it extremist. He hacks yeah. his own hypothalamus to be able to get his base biometrics down to a point where he has all this excess energy. And he jumps up on the table and basically pulls off these like skin gloves to reveal all these little lasers attached to his fingers. <laughs> and he just goes ham on everybody in this boardroom, like incinerating them with these laser blasts from his fingers. Oh my God. That he's doing with his own body chemistry. So as opposed to Tony running the Iron Man armor off of his arc reactor, uh-huh. Ezekiel Stain is doing all of this with the energy story within his own body because his brain is telling his body to manipulate that energy in different ways. So he goes and murders all these people and then jumps out of a window on the 44th floor. <laughs> All the way to the bottom where he is apparently none the worse for wear. Back on the helicarrier, Tony is uh, suited up in his Iron Man armor and he's talking to War Machine and they're discussing the terrorist attack in Tanzania and they're looking at the crater and Tony's like, I don't know what it is. How can they get this kind of yield with no you know, bomb parts left over? Why didn't we find this? Why didn't we find that? And Rhodey... Um, comments you know are you sure it wasn't an armor job are you sure somebody didn't use uh our kind of tech to be able to do this and tony's like no 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 it isn't but roadie's like well check it out it sounds a lot like the premise for like the human bombs for in the movie in in iron man 3 yes yeah. very similar and so tony uh doesn't tell roadie but he has a pet project at shield where he is literally tracking everybody uh, who uses armor-based technology in their mm-hmm. in their endeavors, and none of them have been in that part of Africa. So the mystery deepens as to how all this stuff happened. We cut back to Ezekiel Stain in the backseat of a limo with his girlfriend, covered in blood, um, basically um, exhausted and with glass sticking out of his face because he jumped through a fucking window. Yeah. And his girlfriend is berating them about how they had like 15 different escape plans and none of them involved him jumping out of the window. (laughs) So she's pissed at him that he did it just to do it. And he's like, yeah, I did. (laughs) And uh, we learn uh, a little bit more about how it's his body chemistry allowing him to do all this because he's uh, basically drinking like Gatorade paste to recover the calories back. Mm Mm-hmm. And he and his girlfriend are discussing how they need more uh, tech from the black market to be able to set up more suicide bombers. So right away in the first issue, we know the premise of what's going on and what's going to happen. You've got Ezekiel Stain financing these terrorists and giving them these uh, weapons in order to be able to pull off these uh, bombings around the world. So we cut back to S.H.I.E.L.D. where Tony is just in his metal understreet talking to Pepper Potts. And this is the first time we've seen Pepper in a, in a while. She's still his, uh, you know, kind of his ultimate um, girl. Uh, they're not together at this point, but she is running his company while he's director of S.H.I.E.L.D. So they were very hand-in-hand deploying his technology uh, to S.H.I.E.L.D. to be able to uh, facilitate his vision of the world. And she's giving him shit about how the model that he had uh, in his bed, you know, a couple nights ago probably couldn't even spell Lamborghini correctly. Whereas <laughs> she is uh, very pepper pots. Yes, she's very snarky and completely adorable. 
Oh, Jack Daniels. How, yeah. you, how you liking straight Jack? <laughs> I'm getting more used to it. It's, it's hit me less hard, but it, it burns so good. Still. So here we go. Tony decides to suit up, and the next panel is him basically doing a halo drop with a bunch of shield agents. Mm-hmm. And um, the reason he was talking to Pepper Potts is that he's noticing, like, these things with the armor. Like, he can't put his finger on it, but, like, it's acting just a, a hair too slow here or a hair too slow there. But, obviously, as the chief designer and implementer of this technology, it's not like he can call tech support. Yeah. So he's having Pepper monitor the armor uh, through a back channel while he goes on this raid against advanced genocide mechanics, uh, a splinter group of AIM. which is advanced idea mechanics. And so we get a couple of great pages of uh, Tony going to town on these goons that are trying to shoot him with machine guns and everything. And he even remarks, he's like, I look like a big scary robot from the future. What are these idiots doing trying to shoot me? (laughs) (laughs) And as he's mopping the floor with all these grunts and shooting them with bombs and submunitions and stuff from the armor, he's commenting to himself, He's like, why does this have to be bombs? Why can't it be vaccines? Why can't I use this armor to make the world a better place instead of it being a weapon? Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, beats the shit out of a couple Hummers. Um, she, uh, while he's doing that, Pepper um, is going over the accounts of the uh, Tanzania bombing, and they find the girl who had. The start phone had tra- taken a picture right before the terrorists detonated their bombs, which is how they see the various uh, arc reactor and repulsor technology on the suicide bombers. And that's yeah. where Tony uh, begins his investigation into this uh, attack properly. So the title of this group of, uh, of this graphic novel is The Five Nightmares. And these are the five nightmares of Tony Stark. And that first nightmare is that he's going to lose his sobriety. He's going to get drunk. Oh, cheers. Indeed. And that is first and foremost on his priority list, is that he not lose that control because he's not certain what is going to happen in that regard. As... Tony is fighting these aim goons. We get uh, another good look at his heads-up display as he's talking to himself, and he's basically listening to a symphony while in his armor and beating up these guys. And he comments about how he does it uh, for the pleasure, and he says, your tax dollars pay me to beat the hell out of people like this, and that he declines the paycheck. (laughs) So (laughs) as director of S.H.I.E.L.D., the job is its own reward. So he finds uh, this Splinter Group's version of MODOK and flies him into space and throws him into space, which they is just throwing pretty, Modoc hilarious, here. pretty hilarious because fuck MODOK, that's why. <laughs> <laughs> Giant floating brain. And uh, basically, after all this is said and done, Tony's like, these guys weren't behind the, the bombings. They're, yeah. they're more traditionally equipped than this. They have bombs, they have guns. They're attacking him with machine guns as opposed to like his own technology. So he closes down this shop because it's the right thing to do. Obviously, we don't need advanced genocide mechanics operating anywhere. And while he's already here, he's going to go ahead and stomp these guys out. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm sorry, I'm talking a lot. 
Yeah. So it looks like we got Tony like doing a aerial view of the Earth here next. Yeah, he uh, he literally flew into space to throw Modoc into the upper atmosphere, which I just think is awesome because Tony's not above murder, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, it's Modoc, so like, yeah, nobody cares. So. Yeah. But uh, as he comes back down, he's watching uh, his Shield agents round up all the uh, all the guys. Uh, from advanced idea mechanics and he's like they're zealots they're not fanatics they're not they don't have the vision to pull off these suicide bombings mm-hmm. uh, and he comments to himself you want to drive somebody like him crazy you make them wait for something to happen yeah so now we move along to the Philippines where a group of costume heroes are being honored for stopping um, a natural disaster and these uh, Philippine heroes are known as the uh, Triumph Division. Okay. And they are being honored for their uh, courage in the face of this natural disaster. And all of their uh, adoring public is there to greet them. And these monks come out of the crowd and they pass the security lines to put these, uh, like, Almost like Hawaiian lays, but they're, you know, made out of flowers and plants and whatnot. Yeah. And they're like, uh, they they go up to all these heroes, and it turns out that they are suicide bombers as well. And they detonate point blank at this ceremony and wreck this whole palace and everybody near it. Watching from his dastardly lair, we find Ezekiel Stain and, <laughs> and one of his uh, cronies watching everything from a bunch of computer screens. And uh, this crony that's behind Ezekiel Stain is talking about, uh, you know, God and the Lord and divine influence and everything. And Ezekiel Stain is like, shut up. <laughs> I did this, not anybody else. And they're talking about uh, how they're making... Uh, these suicide bombers at a fraction of the cost of something like the Iron Man armor. Yeah. And we get a couple of cutscenes of some very bloody, very dirty operating rooms where apparently all this stuff is installed and uh, some willing participants are going under the knife to have uh, these pieces of Stark Tech installed in them to be able to uh, carry out these bombings. Back in the Philippines, we have Rhodey, Pepper, and Tony. Uh, Rhodey and Tony are uh, all in their armor uh, investigating the scene, and they're looking around for survivors. Uh, Tony is using this as an opportunity to, to remind the audience that uh, while Rhodey wears an Iron Man suit, it's not as good as his because Extremis gives him <laughs> direct control over the Iron Man armor, whereas Rhodey is just an excellent pilot. And they're wondering how this type of technology got in the hands of these zealots, uh, furthering the mystery of how they're going to do stuff. Uh, Tony then attends the funeral for some of these Triumph Division heroes where he uh, meets Thor. Um, They kind of uh, dance around each other at the funeral because this is after the Civil War and Mm -hmm. they're still at odds with each other. And Tony's just like, you know, thinking to himself, talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, until he finally um, initiates the conversation with Thor and tries to get him to understand why Tony is doing the things that he's doing. And Thor comments back that Tony doesn't understand why Thor does the things that he's doing. And he taps him on the chest with Mjolnir and actually chips the armor and then flies away. (laughs) (laughs) 
And so uh, now we bounce around the world again, and we are in Asia, where uh, Tony and Pepper are attending a think tank uh, from Stark Industries, where they're at this gala celebration. Um, and Tony is talking to all the ladies there, and he tells Pepper to go get him drinks. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> so she comes back and throws the champagne in his face and walks out. As Tony tries to go after her, he's uh, interrupted by Ezekiel Stain himself, who's wearing one of those T-shirts that has the tuxedo print on it and blue jeans. <laughs> so at this huge gala where everybody's all dressed up, here's this fucking kid wearing jeans and this uh, tuxedo T-shirt. And he's trying to talk to Tony as Tony's trying to rush around him. And then he introduces himself as Ezekiel Stain right as all the suicide bombers bust into this gala. Oh, God. And Pepper may, makes it all the way down to the, uh, to the ground level and is exiting the building, walking away when the explosion goes off. And basically the entire building begins to collapse on top of her. And that is the end of issue two. Oh, man. So moving right along here. Another drink. It's true. <laughs> I've decided to drink at the end of every issue because I'm talking so much. Oh. All right. So issue three picks up immediately. Um after issue two where uh, the building is exploding and we can see just how fast Tony can reactivate the Iron Man armor because after, you know, seeing the suicide bombers as a threat, he immediately deploys the gold undersleeth from his, uh, inside his body. He has the armor in a suitcase nearby and before the explosion even hits him, he is fully encased in the armor, uh, very much like in Iron Man 3 when he is able to put it on while his mansion is getting attacked by the helicopters. Yeah. And he has this image of Ezekiel Stane, you know, looking at him through the fire, being completely unaffected by the fire. Mm-hmm. So Tony, um, in the Iron Man armor, shoots out of the building and immediately begins looking for Pepper. He doesn't look for any other survivors. He doesn't try and track down Ezekiel or anything else. He goes immediately for Pepper and finds her basically uh, amid some rubble alive, but uh, a little bit worse for wear. And he gets her into an ambulance and uh, sends her on her way. And as uh, she's being loaded up into an ambulance, there's only one other survivor that's being loaded up, and that's uh, Ezekiel Stane. Now, the fire has uh, burned off all his hair, and he is a little bit bloody, but he's looking up at Tony and smiling. Oh, boy. Yes. So, back at S.H.I.E.L.D. headquarters, Tony's trying to figure out what's going on, and he's trying to piece everything together while um, arguing with Maria Hill because he wants to go after Ezekiel Stane and you know pound him into the dirt. And she's like, that's illegal because you have no way of knowing that he's the guy doing this. He just walked into the room with three bombers. <laughs> Jesus. Well, I mean, he didn't walk into the room with them. He simply introduced himself, and then all the suicide bombers showed up. So Tony is off flying around in his armor as Ezekiel Stane wakes up in the hospital, uh, kills his doctors and nurses because what else are you going to do? Uh, of course he does. Yeah. You're and, a giant dick. Yeah, and then uh, <laughs> breaks out of uh, the hospital and uh, goes back to his limo with his uh, girlfriend waiting for him. And uh, they drive off, and he's commenting about how 
he can survive like the explosions and stuff, but his body can't deal with the physics of the heat that's generated from everything about that. And he makes uh, a comment that he needs a suit, uh, and then he corrects himself saying he needs a uniform. So very much in the line of many Iron Man villains uh, wearing you know, suits of armor and specific suits of armor. Mm-hmm. Ezekiel Stain is uh, going along those lines, but he doesn't need it as a suit of armor. He needs it to basically abate the energy that's released when he does this kind of stuff. Yeah. So back at the hospital, poor Pepper Potts is clinging to life. Uh, and guess what? She has a bunch of shrapnel in her chest. Oh, oh no. no. How can we ever save her? So uh, Tony's talking to the doctor about what's going to happen, and the doctor's like, there's nothing I can do. And Tony's like, there's something I can do. And he walks away. (laughs) (laughs) So he he comes back next panel, and he's got this little box of um, with Pepper, and it looks like a miniaturized arc reactor that uh, he's going to implant into her. And um, be able to hold the shrapnel in place until he's uh, until she's strong enough to undergo the operation to have it removed. Mm-hmm. While this is happening, we get a nice flashback of uh, Tony and Obadiah Stane when Tony was too drunk and drinking Tony to care <sighs> that Obadiah Stane was trying to take over his company. And this was when Tony was so drunk that he actually wasn't Iron Man. It was actually Rhodey in the suit at the time uh, trying to uh, be Iron Man and fend off threats to both uh, the world and uh, to Tony himself. Obadiah ends up taking over his company and eliminating Tony from uh, the picture altogether until they have their final throwdown between uh, Iron Monger and Iron Man where Obadiah Stane actually commits suicide rather than admit defeat uh, to Iron Man. Oh, okay. So, blows his own head off with uh, a repulsor blast. Obviously, Tony looks like he's trying to stop that. Yeah, he uh, didn't want him to die, but he also was uh, not close enough in order for that uh, to happen. So Tony, uh, back in the present, Tony is still uh, looking for Ezekiel Stane and uh, trying to uh, argue with Mariah Hill about why uh, he should be the only one with the Iron Man costume because Mariah Hill's uh, constantly trying to get him to mass produce these uh, suits of armor for S.H.I.E.L.D. agents. Mm Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, he's on the ground at the uh, site of the Gala explosion looking for Stark Tech, where he's confronted by the government uh, that doesn't recognize S.H.I.E.L.D. And he's got uh, some crazy new uh, suits of armor coming after him that are remote piloted version of the Mandroids from uh, the Ten Rings. Okay. So he has to uh, leave the scene in order to uh, be able to defend himself, because if he defends himself on their government soil he is going to be um basically a war criminal so he flies away from these things and he scans them and realizes that they're just drones being remotely piloted so he gets them out over uh international waters and then just immediately eliminates them (laughs) because he's iron man he even comments that it takes more than first person shooter skills to take them down (laughs) so we get uh we get to see a little bit of the the snarky tony stark uh still doing his thing even though he is uh the director of shield 
Um, he did find one piece of evidence at the scene, which was uh, a piece of an old arc reactor, uh, which, again, further clues him in that uh, his technology is in the wrong hands and he needs to stop it, which is one of his other nightmares, is that the five nightmares are that he's going to get drunk, that someone is going to be able to recreate the armor, Mm-hmm. That someone is that the armor is eventually going to be replaceable and disposable like a cell phone. Yeah. That it's going to be used for nefarious purposes, and that he's not going to be the one to do it. Mm-hmm. So those are uh, his five nightmares, which is the the title of the book. Uh, back at the hospital, we see Tony and the doctor discussing how the arc reactor is keeping Pepper alive um, until she can be strong enough to undergo her surgery. And then we cut back to uh, an unknown location where Ezekiel Stain is um, making his rubber suit of doom to be able to confront Iron Man. And the uh, issue ends with uh, him donning his uniform saying, There! Now I feel like I'm ready to kill Tony Stark. Oh no, you're going to try to kill Darren, man. How are you going to do that? Oh my god. Alright. Oh, drink. Mm-hmm. Alright. So issue number four picks up with Tony Stark and Reed Richard playing chess while watching news feeds of these various terrorist <laughs> attacks. They have fantastic four in this. <laughs> it's just Reed. Okay. They're just, they're just playing chess because fuck the Fantastic Four at this point. Um, and Reed's asking him like how he deals with the press, and Tony's just like, I'd just be a dick to him. <laughs> <laughs> and Reed's like, I always sound like such an asshole because I try and give them these great explanations. And Tony's like, just be a dick to him. They're, he's like, it's the press, who cares? <laughs> Which is kind of awful, but kind of hilarious at the same True, time. Yeah. And so uh, they're kind of verbally sparring while they're playing chess as as Tony's going over uh, how he's going to uh, need to track down Ezekiel Stain and stop him. And uh, apparently Tony learned chess because of Obadiah Stain uh, and how uh, trying to... trying to think like his enemy in order to defeat him. Yeah. Which is uh, a very sci-fi... a very sci-fi trope. Uh, being able to identify with your opponent before you attack them. So uh, he and Reed Richards play chess for a couple of pages, actually, until Tony walks away having gotten Reed in check on, like, five of seven boards. They're playing multiple games of chess at once. They're playing, like, seven games against each other. Fucking nerds. Um, Which, you know, I have a hard enough time playing one game of chess, (laughs) practically, anyway. And... Um, Tony gets him in check everywhere and walks away with a big fucking smirky smile on his face. A very Robert Downey Jr. look on his face. Yeah. Uh, next page, Tony is in his garage, which uh, he explains to the audience. He always calls his workshop the garage, whether it's in uh, his home or in his or at Stark Industries, or this one in particular is on the helicarrier. Uh, where he's talking to Pepper, who is up and moving around uh, despite her catastrophic injuries. She does got the arc reactor there in her chest. She does. You can see it shining through uh, her hospital gown. And she's trying to have this sincere conversation with Tony, and he is so involved in what he's doing that he's not quite ignoring her, but he's not multitasking to Mm. his, his similar thing. And Pepper goes on to tell him that she doesn't want the arc reactor in her chest, because, and she quotes, she doesn't want to be a bomb. 
and that hits Tony kind of sideways because he feels that's how she views him. Hmm. At this point, he is completely in love with her, even though they're not officially together because he was trying to mack on everybody at the uh, yeah at the gala when he told her <laughs> to get them all drinks, and then she threw them in his face. Yeah, like that's terrible. Like she, she does not look happy about having that in her no, chest. No, she is. Uh, she's very, very uh, against this uh, at this time. And um, as uh, she finally goes back to bed, uh, Maria Hill picks up with him again about how he shouldn't be using this technology for such selfish gain. He should turn it over to S.H.I.E.L.D. and be able to use it. And she can't believe how something that can treat these kind of injuries is, in her eyes, readily available. And uh, she is quoted as saying, the only people you've decided to use it on are you and your secretary. <laughs> and uh, Tony doesn't like that. So uh, they go at it for a little bit, and she she closes saying, 1982 called, uh, Magnum wants to know where you parked the Ferrari. <laughs> and Tony comes back at her saying, Supercut's called, and your next appointment's on Tuesday. <laughs> So she says, is that it? And then he dismisses her <laughs> from his <laughs> office, which is uh, hilarious. Next page, we cut back uh, to a non, uh, nondescript location where a bunch of uh, presumed terrorists are waiting at auction for uh, Ezekiel Stain to uh, either sell him the technology or implant it in him. It's not really made clear if they uh, do all this on site or not, but... Um, he and his girlfriend are looking for more technology uh, on the black market to be able to pull off uh, their final plan of these suicide bombs, and he's just a couple pieces of equipment short. So Tony's plan uh, to catch them is to leak some authentic Iron Man gear out onto the black market. So he basically gives it to this uh, crazy collector guy who has a daughter that's drawn uh, incredibly like Paris Hilton with uh, the blonde hair and the sunglasses and a little puppy dog. And apparently the Avengers uh, saved her when some group of supervillains, the Wreckers, I believe, uh, threatened this guy to try and get him to release basically his collection of uh, supervillain costumes and stuff that he has right. in his in his basement. So Tony's whole plan is to uh, leak some things onto the black market to get Ezekiel Stain to buy them so that he can then track them mm. and find out where his next targets are. Smart. Yes. Smart idea. Um, a couple of uh, panels. We have uh, Tony talking to Pepper, trying to convince her that she needs to uh, get stronger and then he'll be able to take the arc reactor out. We see the uh, Iron Tech pieces making their way onto the black market. And then we see Tony go back to Triumph Hall to greet the new group of superheroes that are going to take over for the heroes that were killed in the Philippines because their mantles are handed down uh, from father to son and mother to daughter and everything like that. So sure. it's just a real quick thing. I don't know if it's a tie-in to another series or anything, but uh, he talks about how... This group of uh, young heroes reminds him a lot of when the Avengers started out, and they're they're cocky, but they're scared, and they're hiding it like behind their bravado and stuff like that. But right. uh, it ends up being uh, a very positive experience for him to see this uh, enthusiasm for the job that needs to be done. Uh, we see the the black market uh, chain of events going. Um, 
a little bit further. And then we come to a conference room for Oki Cola, which uh, <laughs> you can guess what that is. And Tony Stark's in a board meeting with the uh, board of directors for Oki Cola, which he has just acquired. And they're like, why did you buy our company? And Tony's like, they're like, do you really like us or something? And Tony's like, no, I don't drink soda. It's actually kind of disgusting. But <laughs> um, the futurist side of him wants their infrastructure and all their vending machines and the fact that they're so established in like the third world. And he's thinking so many years ahead that he's like, it's, it's great that you guys are able to reach all these people. And one day we're going to distribute vaccines through your vending machines, which I thought was brilliant. Yeah. Like, yeah, why not? Exactly. So it's like, you know, using their existing info, it, it, it shows how, how differently Tony thinks than other people. Like even as the director of shield, when he knows like the, the son of one of his enemies is coming gunning for him, he's still making this deal to acquire this soda company that has all these vending machines to be able to disperse medicine in the future. Yeah. And I think that's super cool because I know if I was fucking Iron Man, I would wear that suit like 18 hours a day (laughs) (laughs) and just go, you know, busting skulls all over the place but you know that's why i'm not a superhero yeah or at least only part-time because i have a sidekick to do all that other stuff uh we uh transition pages again where tony's at another uh meeting with a bunch of suits these guys are all wearing military suits and he's pitching to them an idea for um Stark Industries product, which is going to eliminate landmines, because in this continuity, it's still the landmines that gave him the shrapnel that uh, Mm -hmm. eventually caused all his injuries. And it's basically this gel that envelops the landmines and allows them to detonate harmlessly. Okay. And the military is like, well, then where do we get more landmines? And Tony's like, oh, these military mines are going to kill me. Uh, But while he's having this meeting, he's also fighting the melter. And the generals are like, are you are you in combat while you're having this meeting with us? He's like, yeah, it's the melter. <laughs> it's not really combat. <laughs> so we, uh, we see that, uh, again, that, that cockiness where he feels that he's basically the invincible Iron Man again because the extremistos gave him the ability to pilot the suit so fast that really nothing can stop him. Mm-hmm. And then the next page is uh, another... Uh, you know, uh, blind drop of the black market where a package is delivered to a locker in a bus terminal and then Ezekiel Stane's girlfriend comes and picks it up. Okay. Back at Stark Industries, um, we see Pepper looking at one of Tony's suits of armors and uh, she's got a schematic of a missile pulled up next to it and she's just kind of looking at it. She tells Tony that uh, they're discharging her tomorrow, and she taps the arc reactor on her chest, and she's like, take it out. You know, I don't want to do this. And Tony's like, okay, why do you want to take it out? And she's like, I don't want to be a bomb, and I won't be anybody's weapon. And, you know, this actually, you know, the, the drawing of Tony actually has him looking like he's in some pretty emotional pain. Like, he doesn't... He understands what he is and why he does what he is, but he hates the fact that this woman that he loves sees him as nothing but a weapon. 
And so he tells her that her arc reactor is a little bit in, uh, is a lot different because it comes from Rand Industries. Rand being Danny Rand, aka the Immortal Iron Fist. Right. And he tells Pepper that she's not a bomb; she's a battery. And he tries to convince her to keep the uh, arc reactor in her that way. And they have this little touching moment where the magnetic fields created by their dual arc reactors are like pushing against each other. And he gets down on one knee, and then he's called by shield. Ah, Jesus. Fucking cockblock. Damn you, Maria Hill. And so uh, Maria Hill calls him to tell him that his um, pieces of armor that he's leaked onto the black market have all come online at the same time. Oh, shit. And that is the end of issue number four. Issue number five opens up in Los Angeles, and then Tokyo, and then Valencia, and then Long Island, the scene of Tony Stark's four largest manufacturing plants that are the foundation of Stark Industries. Mm -hmm. And we learn that these are going to be Ezekiel Stane's targets, because if he takes all of these out at once, he will cripple Stark Industries and be able to eliminate Tony's legacy uh, before he eliminates Tony himself. Yeah. We see uh, Ezekiel Stane and a bunch of his terrorists get on a uh, tour of the facilities, and he's wearing a Civil War t-shirt with the skull of Captain America on it, saying Tony was right. He does not look good bald. No, he does not. He does he's not he's bald, like, bald well. Yeah, he's a really weird-looking Lex Luthor. And he's got... <laughs> He's got, like, half a derp face. Like, he doesn't have a full derp face, but he's not a handsome man. No. So, while all these tours are taking place, Tony is in the Iron Man suit actively searching for it uh, while Pepper and Maria Hill uh, consult with them. There's a little bit of tension between Pepper and Maria Hill. Uh, Tony smooths it over by saying that Pepper, as head of Stark Industries, is uh, helping them identify these threats Mm -hmm. uh, to his individual power plants. And they eventually learn that uh, those four locations are going to be the targets, so... He lands at the Los Angeles one, and they begin evacuating all of the uh, personnel from these facilities in order to uh, lessen any collateral damage, because at this point he's just uh, trying to stop everything. Yeah, the bombers. Mm-hmm. Uh, next two pages are some uh, panels of Ezekiel Stane's girlfriend uh, coordinating everything from their uh, unknown hideout, directing the bombers to uh, specific weak points in those facilities. And we see uh, Ezekiel Stane uh, kind of prowling alone through one of them looking for Tony. Everybody's uh, doing their thing, trying to... Uh, get everything together when all of a sudden uh, the Valencia facility is just obliterated as the suicide bombers detonate early and uh, they weren't finished with the evacuation so uh, some 75 people died uh, when uh, this facility uh, goes up in smoke basically Um, Pepper's really uh, taken aback by it this is kind of like the first time she's seen destruction like this on this scale yeah uh, it cuts back to Tony uh, doing a scan for Ezekiel, and then uh, they finally find each other, and uh, they're finally going to have their throwdown that we've been waiting for for the next couple comics. So Ezekiel's uh, suit reminds me a lot of uh, the Dead Space suits, 
where mm-hmm. it's uh, kind of rubbery and he has this like glowing mask and a little bit of uh, you know tech on the back that is glowing. Yeah. And they're going at it. Um, Tony's hitting them and you know basically drops down on top of them from you know a couple hundred feet and it doesn't even phase him. He's scanning them with X-rays, trying to find out what he's dealing with. Uh, they go back and forth, hand to hand, blaster to blaster, you know, punching each other through walls and everything. Typical uh, superhero stuff. And all the while, uh, you know, whenever Tony fires off, you know, some kind of submunition, he says, you know, this could be medicine, this could be a vaccine. He actually gasses uh, Ezekiel Stain uh, with some stuff that's in his armor. He's like, why couldn't this be something else? And there's an x-ray of Ezekiel stain that, oh, I don't have to breathe anymore because reasons. <laughs> <laughs> because reasons. And uh, they're fighting each other, and uh, Ezekiel stain like, jumps up in the air and, like, does a full-on Kamehameha, <laughs> like, firing down and down. damn, man. <laughs> like, it's, it's a great, it's a great illustration but it is so dragon ball like yeah. i can't think of anything else to <laughs> yeah, compare it to yeah so it's just this beam of light that that surrounds his entire body and he like shoots it down at iron man and it hits the suit and both uh, maria hill and pepper are like uh you can't take another shot like that and tony's like yeah they're probably right this is kind of shitty and ezekiel stain comes down and starts beating the snot out of uh the armor and we see pieces of the armor start falling apart as Ezekiel keeps trying to beat into it. And all of a sudden he cracks through it and uh, basically decapitates it with a laser blast. And then we realize, uh-oh, it's just a drone. Ah, oh, shit. Ah, because fuck you, Ezekiel Stain. And that's the end of issue five. All right, issue six, the conclusion of the five nightmares. Back at Stark Industries in New York, where uh, Ezekiel Stain has um, just decapitated the Iron Man armor, uh, he is shouting to himself, I'm assuming, that uh, he is victorious. I think I said Los Angeles earlier. I'm sorry, it uh, is in New York, according to this panel. Same difference. Yeah, you know, one closer. <laughs> so he tries to uh, pull apart the armor to find Tony Stark inside, and then he realizes that uh, he's been had and that he was fighting a, a drone the entire time. Uh, Ezekiel Stane's talking back and forth with his girlfriend about uh, how the progress of the other raids is going. And then, much like the house party protocol from Iron Man 3, we learn that Tony is remote piloting all his old suits of armor which are stored at all these facilities yep. in order to stop all these suicide bombers we actually see a war machine uh, in tokyo taking out some suicide bombers with a well-placed right hook unfortunately valencia is already toast and los angeles is in the process of being evacuated so now tony and ezekiel are going to throw down for real and they go at it back and forth again over the course of a couple pages. And Tony is kind of haunted by these uh, flashbacks of these other suicide bombers going off. And he's not going to let this kind of stuff happen to uh, his employees. And he's got a perfect kill shot on Ezekiel Stain. He actually beats him, not handily, but, you know, 
remember that Ezekiel Stane is doing all of this from his body's own storage reserves. So mm-hmm. whatever that final blast was that he set off probably took a good chunk out of his uh, metabolism. Yeah. And, you know, Tony's got a repulsor, like, right under his chin and is about to blow his head off when he instead uh, just kind of throws him through the wall and disconnects everything. Um, Ezekiel's kind of boasting about how even if he gets killed by Tony, his his suicide bombers are going to still wipe out all these facilities and kill Stark Industries and everything. And Tony takes off all of his armor and all of his um, his undersleeve, and he detonates an EMP. And this EMP shuts down every piece of Stark tech everywhere. Huh. All around the world? Everywhere. Oh, Jesus. So rather than risk the lives of uh, all these people at, at these facilities, he shuts everything down. And he's even telling Ezekiel Stain, you know, with all the Iron Man suits and all the things that I make and all the things that are already weapons and all the things that could be weaponized, do you really think I didn't have an off switch? <laughs> And then proceeds to uh, kick him in the chest. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, they do a little hand-to-hand combat uh, while Tony is essentially wearing a pair of boxer shorts. uh, And he uh, basically beats Ezekiel's face in with some rubble. Yeah. And they go back and forth, and um, he he ends up uh, beating him pretty much to a bloody pulp. Uh, telling him that his dad was crazy, uh, but he was also smarter and harder to beat. Yeah. Uh, Ezekiel calls him a fascist and an oppressor and all this other new age kind of garbage, and Tony's just like, eh. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> whatever. It's not like he hasn't been called that before. Exactly. He's like, you really... And the, the thing that Tony is so angry about is that he realizes how smart Ezekiel is and how he could make the world a better place if he wasn't into this vendetta thing. So we conclude with uh, Tony and Pepper uh, looking out um, at the night sky from Stark Tower and uh, concluding how Tony was able to beat Ezekiel and Tony said he had five nightmares, five things that made him toss and turn at night, five things that gnaw on him every day. But Ezekiel Stain gave him a sixth. And he's shown him what he needs to be to become in order to stop the evil like Ezekiel Stain. Righteous. So, yeah. And it's a great, great splash page of Tony looking through a glass pane, seeing the Iron Man reflection in the mirror with a great splash of the Milky Way up in the night sky. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's a really, really great, uh, really great conclusion to uh, the story. And then there's a brief epilogue with uh, Iron Man and Spider-Man teaming up to go after the uh, couple individuals who are leaking things out onto the black market mm-hmm. in, a, in a team-up. And this is after Civil War, so this is after Spider-Man revealed his identity and then had Doctor Strange erase everybody's memory about him. <laughs> so Tony doesn't know that Peter is Spider-Man, and Spider-Man wants to go with Iron Man uh, on these, uh, basically these arrests in order to... 
uh, you know, prove himself to to Iron Man, and he's like, "You're a fugitive. I can't be seen with you. Go away!" And he's like trying to push him off, but uh, Peter just keeps coming at him. And you know, the the whole reason Peter's even there in the first place is he's trying to get a picture for his website that he works with now with uh, <laughs> Ben Urich. So they go and uh, they find the tinkerer uh, Phineas Mason, and they arrest him, and they find. Uh, What's his name? Uh, I'm trying to find it. The next guy is the the wheeler. <laughs> you know, he drives his... The wheeler? Yes, he drives his big uh, gyroscope around. <laughs> oh, God. You know, you might remember him from the Spider-Man cartoon. So they go after this thing and stop it and, uh, you know, arrest him. And then um, they go and arrest uh, the guy with the, the collection as well for, uh, you know... They they don't want Tony doesn't want to arrest him, but he's like you got to give us all your uh, all your stuff because you really can't have all these weapon of mass destructions in your basement. Yeah, know? it's like but you do it, <laughs> and Tony's like I don't care, and so he's talking to uh, Spider Man about uh, his his role and everything and being the head of everything and um, how it how it weighs on him, and. Peter's kind of like on the fence about telling him who he is and everything. So he ends up taking this photo um, and the photo for the uh, for the uh, website article that they publish is called The Head That Wears the Crown, which is um, a short story that was written about uh, the responsibilities of leadership and the stressors that are involved in that. And it's this great shot of the sun setting behind Tony while he's sitting in, surrounded by all this rubble with his visor up. And he's just kind of in like the thinker pose with his, yeah. his hand on his chin, uh, contemplating what's going on. And that concludes The Five Nightmares. Thank you for listening. This has been Extremis and The Five Nightmares with Steve from Something Gate. I appreciate you listening. Please leave any feedback that you might have on our Facebook page, Intoxic Comics. Uh, listen in for our third episode, uh, which should be coming around shortly. Hopefully we get about one every month. Uh, that's what I'm looking for. Ah, fuck, I said um again. <laughs> uh, again, I appreciate you listening, and stay tuned. Thank you.